Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Welcome to Passage to Profit. This is Richard Gearhart from Gearhart Law, founder of our intellectual property law firm. And we are here talking on Passage to Profit about ideas, inventions, entrepreneurism, and intellectual property. And I'm Elizabeth Gearhart, and I work at the law firm doing marketing. I'm not an attorney. But if you do have a question relating to intellectual property patents, trademarks, copyrights, trade secrets, then you can contact us at Gearhart Law. You can talk to Richard about it. And we also do litigation. Richard's been doing this for 30 years from corporate to private practice. He's done just about everything you can do in the intellectual property field. <laughs> That's so, right. So if you have a question, if you need a strategy, give us a call. A half hour consultation is free. Yeah, that's absolutely great. Thanks for pointing that out. And we love intellectual property, patents, trademarks, and copyrights. And we love working with entrepreneurs too, who are starting projects. It's really a privilege to be part of the entrepreneurial process. So this evening, we have two executive spotlights. We have Alan Adamson, who's really an incredible guru when it comes to branding and marketing. And we have Mitch Beinhacker, general legal attorney, who's going to be talking about all the necessary things for startups when it comes to just general legal things like LLCs, contracts, that type of information. And with us is Shirley Joy Jaffe, quantum creation expert and Stas Chief who's going to be talking about billfold contactless solutions. We also have with us Kenya Gibson, who is our iHeart Media Maven. But before we get to our guests, we're going to be talking about IP in the news. We have a really interesting article here that we found relating to a Nobel Prize winner who actually got his Nobel Prize for cancer treatments. And there was a big court case about this because the inventorship on the patent that covered the cancer treatments was wrong. And so that's one of the things that you don't usually hear too much about when you're talking about intellectual property, the importance of naming the right inventors. And so the owner of the patent was a Japanese-based company called Ono Pharmaceuticals, and they licensed the product to Bristol-Myers Squibb. And Dana-Farber Cancer Institute had two inventors that worked on the project, and they were omitted from the patent. And since they were omitted from the patent, they didn't have any rights in the technology. And so Dana-Farber went to court and they managed to get the court to name their two inventors as inventors on the patent. And because they're inventors, they got to share in all of the rights associated with commercializing this cancer drug. And so the lesson is that when it comes to filing patents, it's really important to make sure that you get the inventorship right. Now, there have been courts that have found that if somebody is erroneously left off a patent and it's done intentionally, that the whole patent is invalid. So whenever you're working on a project that involves patents, it's really, really important to make sure that the inventorship is correct and your patent attorney should guide you on this. We've worked with a lot of scientists on life science projects, small molecule patents, drugs, and it's so funny because lots of times scientists don't care so much about the money, but they care about the credit. That is the thing that is most important to them sometimes. Well, and what happens is somebody may have the concept, but to get your name on the patent, you have to make a significant contribution to the science in the patent or whatever is in the patent. And I guess that that's kind of a question for some people. They can say this wasn't, this was. Well, of course, these people, their contribution was significant. So as you go along developing things, you may need to add people to your patent application, which right. is what happened in this case. And the net result of getting their inventors named on the patent is now that Dana Farber gets to commercialize this drug as well, and they'll probably license it to a different pharmaceutical company. So it can have pretty significant commercial but, but I consequences. Think, can I think for the people that are listening here, though, one of the real scary things is if, say you go to court to enforce your patent because somebody's infringing on it and you don't have the right inventors on there, then the court's just going to say, oh, well, you know, you're out of luck because you did this wrong. And so that's another reason why it's so important for when you have to enforce your rights against infringers. So, so what's up next? We have a real patent palooza here. <laughs> um, can anybody guess how many patents issued for Apple yesterday in one day? <laughs> no. 
Yes, <laughs> well, you can see I know right the there. answer, so, so I, I don't. Is it a big number? <laughs> fairly big. So 64 patents huh. issued, and 63 of them were utility patents, which are the biggies that cost for them probably, you know, 30 to 50 grand a pop. And then one design patent, the design patent was on the MacBooks. So what did they patent though? Uh, earbud type of things that actually interact with your Apple watch and collect data and send it to your watch. Like when you're doing yoga, it can tell you things. So um, how do you feel though about companies like Apple collecting data on your biological characteristics? Isn't that a little scary? Well, it's scary because you can say the government, it's scary when the government does it, but at least we have recourse against them because we elect our government and we can go and tell them to stop it. But so with I, Apple, I, it's a private company. So I don't for, know. What do you do? For me, I'm very sensitive to that. So I bought a, a running watch. I like to jog, but it has an app associated with it. And so it collects where I go, how far I run. I spent like $500 on this watch and I'll never use it because I'm just paranoid that this data is going to be collected. And I'm probably a little over the top on that, but I really think that these things have positives and younger generations don't care so much about the privacy. It has perhaps positive public health ramifications, but who's to know what's going to happen if if your insurance company gets a hold of this stuff. So, yep, you're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Our special guest this evening is Alan Adamson, Mitch Feinecker, and of course, Kenya Gibson. We'll be right back after this message. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearhart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearhart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. This evening, we have with us Alan Adamson. He is a real guru in the world of branding and marketing. And he objected to this term before the show, but after looking at his books and his website, I think it's perfectly appropriate. He's written four books, most recently Shift Ahead, which is about staying relevant. And in addition to all this, he's an adjunct professor at the NYU School of Business at Stern. So welcome, Alan. So good to have you here. Thanks for joining us. So what do we have to do from a branding and a marketing standpoint to stay relevant in these times? That was the question that as we set out to write the book is everyone knows you need to change to stay relevant. You don't want to become your father's Oldsmobile. Yet every day you double click and there's somebody else disappearing because they haven't maintained relevance. So while everyone knows you need to be relevant, it's obviously easier said than done. And I think the first part we found was that most people, if you remember the old TV show, Frasier, and uh, Frasier's dad had this comfortable chair and everything else in the apartment was new and he had this old chair. And you need to realize that we are all very familiar with the comfortable in the past. So any sort of change, getting a new shirt, getting a, a new exercise routine, buying a new exercise watch, any change is actually harder to do than you think. So if you realize you're starting in the end zone, <laughs> you're starting in, uh, in Frazier's chair, it, it will help you get out of that chair faster than if you think you're the most agile, quick-changing person out there. Companies rise and fall in part because they get set in routines that worked in the past, then the environment changes, and a new company comes along that can take advantage now of maybe new technologies or new thinkings, and then they rise to the top. So isn't that sort of a typical cycle? That happens a lot, and there are sort of two big things that prevent people from seeing that. You know, One is most companies are just looking right in front of them. If you're Coke, you're worried about Pepsi. If you're Willie's dry cleaning, you're worried about John's dry cleaning across the street. And one of the obviously simple things but hard things to do is develop peripheral vision because most companies don't get 
Pepsi's not going to get put out of business by Coke. You know, most of the time, disruption comes from the side or from behind you. When Gillette was having trouble, it wasn't Schick razors that was giving them a hard time. It was some kids doing Dollar Shave Club. So keep in mind that, yes, you have to pay attention to your number one competitor. But if that's all you're focused on, you're probably going to get zapped. You work with a lot of entrepreneurs at NYU, a lot of students, right? Mm -hmm. So what are you telling them right now? If somebody's starting a business right now, what's the most important thing to do first with their marketing? Well, there's sort of two things. One is that when I was in brand management and we would go to an ad agency and say, look, we want you to tell you about all the great things about Dove Soap. And we'd have a whole page after page of you know, why Dove Soap was better than anything else. And we were all excited. And the creative director came to me and, and took the pages I had written and said, all right, these are all very interesting things, Alan, but I'm going to rip off the corner of the page here. And you've got this one inch corner. That's all you can tell people. What's the one thing that's most important to start your story. So for entrepreneurs, while their new product or new service may do lots of great things, getting to focus and getting to simple, because if you don't start simple and you hand somebody 20 pages and tell people why you're great, no one reads it and no one can hear it and no one can absorb it. So step one is to make sure you're focused and you've got the right way to start your story. You're not going to do the run-on sentence like a NyQuil commercial, the nighttime sniffling. You know, your product can do many things, your service. Pick one and focus on that. But how do you know what the right one is? If you have four and they're all equally balanced, and if you say one, you're going after one market, but you're not really sure what that market is. If you're going after another one, you're going after a different market, but you're not really sure. How do you figure that out? There's no easy way, except that you need to try to rank them because ultimately, if you do everything, no one will believe you do everything well. <laughs> if you're in a law firm, you say, oh, we can, we can handle your parking tickets. We can, you know, yes, you probably can. <laughs> but, you know, to some extent, like in any profession, you, you need to figure out what are you great at and start there, not what you can also do once you're in the door. That sounds like great advice. So, what got you interested in marketing and branding in the first place? I went to school and I thought I was going to be a filmmaker. And, uh, you know, to my surprise, when I graduated, Hollywood didn't call, Spielberg didn't call, you know. And I realized as I was doing lots of films in school, the people I was up against were equally or more talented than me, but they would spend weekends and all the time, they were completely engrossed in film. And I liked it, but I liked other things. And so I went to business school after, and then I decided to make smaller films and I joined an ad agency. And that's how I got into into it. I don't think many people grow up and say, I'm going to be in the branding marketing business. It was an interesting way to apply creativity because lots of business problems, as you know, are not solved in a linear fashion. You just can't look up and say, here's the right recipe for this and just follow these three steps. Lots of business challenges are non-linear and you need to think out of the box, if you would, to solve them. You can't just say, well, here, follow these four steps and call me in the morning. Well, talk about out of the box. So, we started this show because Kenya came to us with this idea. This show is Kenya's idea and Kenya's marketing genius in my mind. Well, thank you, first of all, for those kind regards. So uh, my question for Alan is, what would you say is a good way for brands to break through the clutter in advertising? I feel like there's a million different products in the market, you know, especially now with COVID. And I feel like a lot of advertisers are pivoting their messaging and, you know, taking it in other directions. What were some tips that you can give to brands out there to kind of break through the clutter and make themselves stand out? Well, that's the million dollar question. It's really easier said than done. Typically, if you're looking and doing what everyone else is doing, if you're following the crowd, it's a good hint that that may not allow you to break through while it may be logical to do that. So if everyone is doing Instagram ads, don't jump on that bandwagon right away. Think, well, all right, are there other channels that people are ignoring now <laughs> that might not be relevant? And I'll go back to what I was saying before. Ultimately, people are going to remember a great execution. So when I went to the ad agency uh, as a client and the creative director pulled off the corner of the page and said, just give me one thing. If you look at the best communications, the best advertising, instantly you realize it's a simple idea. Look at the Geico commercials. The idea is 15 seconds will save you 15%. And if you have something as simple as that, you can do great creative. You can break through. If they told you all the reasons Geico was better, you know, because it Warren Buffett owns it and they do car and they do, you know, there are a hundred reasons, but getting to the simple point of the story will allow you to do a better job of communicating. And if you can communicate it better, you're going to break through better. If you, if you try to fit an elephant through a mouse hole, which most people try to do, you'll end up with nothing. One thing I find hard to communicate is if you, and we've had clients with this issue too, if you truly have something 
breakthrough that's new, a product, an idea, then it's hard to boil that down to one sentence and to get people to get it, like because they've never seen it before. What would you do with something like that? Like anything else, everyone thinks overnight success happens overnight. (laughs) And it takes a lot of time especially the newer the concept, the harder it is, because people don't have what we call a frame of reference. They don't even know what shelf to put it on in their head if it's totally new. And or they're phenomenally skeptical. If they say, you know, Alan, you'll be able to run a mile 40% faster. Maybe not. (laughs) So I think part of it is getting people to try it and getting people to talk about it and share it. Because in today's world, a word of mouth has become back to what it was. And in the olden days, People would go to their backyard fence and ask their neighbor, what do you recommend in the toothpaste or, you know, to kill the weeds in the yard? And then we went through a whole period of you just sitting on the couch and letting people tell you what's good. But I think we're back to, you know, if other people are talking about it, I'm more interested in it. Getting some people to use it and sampling it and getting people to start talking about it is probably a good way, the newer, the more different the concept. So what makes for really good content? Because that is the one thing I've heard can really help you stand out. Like Geico, they're funny. I think humor helps, right? Right, You and they can be funny because the message is so simple. If they had to spend 30 seconds telling you how to fill out an insurance form and all the liability issues and yeah, I still think getting to that simple thing and humor sometimes works. The big challenge, and if you watch Super Bowl ads, you, you see this, there's such pressure to say, hey, look at me, that one marketer after the other is trying to be funnier than you. And most of the ads you look back at, you'll say, well, I remember a funny sock ad or the, the one with the dancing dogs, but it's unlikely you'll get from the dancing dogs to what product they were talking about. And it's unlikely you'll get to say, well, that's a better product. So while humor can be great, you have to make sure that the punchline is that your product is better, not that you should make a funny dancing dog. (laughs) How do you counsel entrepreneurs who are looking for their target market? What steps should they take? When I ask them, who do you want to sell it to? And they say, everybody, that's not a good sign. (laughs) Well, everyone wants to sell everything to everybody. You know, who's most likely to buy? Who's going to be the easiest person? Who are going to be your first users? Because again, if you're trying to reach everybody, that's the worst possible challenge because the market is so fragmented. Getting to everybody is impossible. So besides getting what your story is tight, getting to who you're talking to, and demographics don't help that much. I, I want to talk to people 18 to 45. All right. What does that mean? (laughs) Because you could talk to 20 18-year-olds and you have 20 different types of 18-year-olds. So I'm a big believer in trying to personify and paint a picture of your first ideal customer. Tell me what she does. Tell me where she lives. Tell me what she watches. And then we can get to a conversation as now what sort of message will resonate with her. That's great. So we'll be right back on Passage to Profit after this. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R. H-A-R-T-L-A-W dot com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We just finished a very interesting discussion with Alan Adamson, who is a marketing pro. And (laughs) we have many more interesting conversations coming up. If you've ever listened to this show, you know that we get some of the coolest new products and things that come on the show. And we have those today too. But before we get to the product section, the presenters, we want to talk to Mitch Beinecker. So Mitch is in our entrepreneurial sphere here in Northern New Jersey, and he's a business lawyer who deals with entrepreneurs. And I know you don't think you need a lawyer when you're starting a business, but you do. (laughs) And there's a lot of things you need. I had a conversation with Mitch and I was just kind of blown away by like, oh yeah, people need this, they need that, they need that. So welcome, Mitch. Thanks. Thanks for having me. What is one of the first things an entrepreneur needs when they're starting a business? It really depends on what stage you're at, right? If you're just 
in the concept phase, they probably need a non-disclosure agreement maybe from Richard. So they don't share their idea and get it stolen. But if they're in the stage where they're starting to get set up, they want to form some sort of a company. They really shouldn't be operating as a sole proprietor these days. So they might want to form what's called a limited liability company or a corporation as opposed to like a partnership or something like that. And then start to put together the documents that they need to run their business, which is probably 80% of my practice is creating the documents that business owners need to run their operation, run their company. And so why would you want to have an LLC instead of just doing it in your own name without an LLC? Well, in most cases, you want it for liability reasons. So you can be protected from inadvertent lawsuits, things like that. Uh, you want to make sure you follow the proper formalities so you don't set up an LLC and put all the money in your personal bank account because that'll be equivalent to not having an LLC. And of course, there's always an exception to that. So if you commit fraud or you mislead somebody or things like that, you, you know, you're not going to get a lot of corporate or LLC protection. And a limited liability company is basically giving you the same corporate protection, a little bit more flexibility and flow through taxation than a corporation. I'm sure you've had clients that have come to you and they're in trouble and they didn't have these documents. Right. From the start, what kinds of consequences have they faced where they didn't do this and they paid the price? I think, and I'll speak generically because of attorney client privilege, Obviously. of course, but a lot of times people treat law like Elizabeth was saying, like the way we treat medicine in this country, like we go to lawyers when we need help to solve a problem or fix something that's kind of gone awry. That's not always true. In your area of the law, people are often going to you because they're looking to protect something that they've started to create. But in general, I find that a lot of times what happens is people start doing whatever it is they're doing and they may have a partner and they've shaken hands and they haven't put anything in writing. And there's a reason that you use contracts, right? There's really two reasons. One is to list and state what your deal is between the person or what you're doing. And then the other part is when something goes awry or there's a misunderstanding or a miscommunication or a complete breakdown in a dispute, how do you solve those disputes and what are the rules of solving those disputes? So very often I get involved with deals where it's a business, they're investing in a business that, you know, maybe they're the silent partner, maybe they're the operating partner, whatever it is. And they have nothing but like text messages and emails between each other. And they kind of had an agreement at one point, but it was never signed. And the sky's the limit as to what can happen in a case like that when it comes to he said, she said, and things that will not be excluded from the four corners of a written document that you've signed. Like, you know, you'll say, well, Richard, didn't we have that conversation on the phone two weeks ago where you said we would do this and this and this? You have nothing in writing. So it's just, you know, a free for all. And that happens constantly. I constantly get involved in situations like that. Well, we found contracts to be pretty tricky. I mean, not the ones that Richard writes, but we've had construction done. And you think that you have everything covered and they always find a way. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the art of lawyering, right? Let me ask you this. Lots of times people are in a business relationship and they're very enthusiastic and excited to be working together in this partnership. And they feel like friends. They feel like they can trust each other. And then somebody says contract and then all of a sudden the mood changes because now it's like, well, don't you trust me? And a lot of people may not want to really directly confront those issues, even though right. it is better in the long run because they think it'll put a damper on their working relationship. So how do you convince people who are in that mode to set down their thoughts without dampening the spirit of the relationship? Right. Well, I can tell them scary stories, certainly, about other situations I've had to bail people out of. But I think that if you're getting along and everything's great, then there should be no reason why you both don't want to put things in writing. Because something could happen to my partner physically, some mental incapacity or something where they can no longer make decisions or they lost their memory or whatever it happens to be. And somebody else now steps in on their behalf, whether it's a spouse or another person or whatever. So maybe this goes for marriage too. You know, we make emotional decisions, right? We want to do the things that make us feel good and we're all excited about it. You can put agreements in place and you need them for other reasons anyway, dealing with banks, dealing with lenders, dealing with other people without ruining the relationship or dampening the mood or whatever. I don't know, take a bottle of wine out when you're doing it, but list the things, the rules that you guys want to follow. Who can do what? Who can bind the company? When do we have to agree on things together? When do we not? 
I mean, those are the kind of things that people who do care about each other and do like working together should be doing. It's almost contrary to the decision-making that people make. You would want to do that. And if you're working with somebody and you think that you should have an agreement and you bring it up to the person and say, you know, we really should have put this in writing. They say, well, what's the matter? You don't trust me? I think that's a red flag in my opinion. Why wouldn't this person want to sign an agreement with you if you're both on the same page and happy? Lots of people see these kinds of things as an expense that they want to put off. And if you're bootstrapping a company and you don't have a lot of resources and you're looking at the cost of doing these agreements, then that's kind of another reason why I think sometimes people put it off. They want to see it successful and then they'll go back later and do all of those things. So what do you tell clients who are in that position? I have actually, uh, look, I work with a lot of small business owners, a lot of startups, a lot of locals. Sometimes they're not even funded yet. So I'm doing it at a discount and helping them out. I got to pay my bills too. But for example, when I went out on my own and disbanded my firm last summer and started a new practice, basically just solo what I work with all the entrepreneurs, I built a section of the website that's automated because I think lawyers should be more accessible, more technology-based. So if you're a business owner, you're just getting started and you need a basic agreement and you're willing to follow basic rules, you can go to my website for half of what I charge and in 72 hours have an operating agreement or a buy-sell agreement or a, a lease for your business or whatever. That needs to be customized. It could add to the cost. But for the most part, that's why I do it. I try and steer people away from the legal zooms and the rocket lawyers of the world where they get no real legal advice. That service is a document that goes to me to review, but that's how I kind of manage it for people. And then we can build it from there later on as they grow their business. So Mitch, when people go in front of investors, what kind of documents do they need to have that would be something for you? I mean, obviously investors like to see intellectual property. What else do they like to see? They're definitely going to want to see a business plan, at least a pitch deck of some sort. So they understand the concept. You probably want them to sign a non-disclosure agreement too when you're making that pitch. That's probably what you need at that point. Really, the business plan is what it comes down to when you're raising money. And the investors want to see the proper foundation documents in place as well. They want, Of course, that would be part of the business plan, how you're formed, who your management is, what state you're formed in, those types of things. Yeah. So that's great. Thank you very much, Mitch. Very helpful advice uh, on the general legal side and tips I think that every entrepreneur should know. More Passage to Profit after this. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley, the Inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later, and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And we just had interesting discussions with industry experts in marketing and business law. And we have a lot more to come up that's going to be just fascinating. If you missed anything, the podcast comes out tomorrow so you can hear it on the podcast. I'm going to take 30 seconds and talk about my effort. I update people every week. So I started Fireside Directory, which is a video directory of small business. It's a YouTube channel and a website. And I interview people on Zoom now because of COVID. I was doing it in the studio before, but it's easier on Zoom anyway. And I put the interviews on the website so people can see a business professional like Mitch talking to me and I ask him questions like you would. And what I'm getting to now with Fireside is I realize I'm going to need some of these documents that Mitch is talking about that small businesses need. I'll need agreements for people that I want to work with. And I need to make sure everybody knows that Fireside's going to own the copyright to the content on the site, et cetera. So thanks, Mitch. But now I am so excited because we usually have our media maven, Kenya Gibson here, but she has started a new segment for us called Cultivate. So Kenya, welcome. Tell us what you're doing. So I'm really excited about this. And again, I thank you for the opportunity to do this. So there's been a lot going on in society, uh, just with a lot of different things. And and I think the one of the most important things that you can do to help people is to empower them and give them a platform. So we decided that we're going to do a segment called Cultivate. And basically, it's where 
culture meets innovation. So we're going to be highlighting creators and innovators that are contributing to the culture. And one of the first people that we're going to be talking about this week is a young man by the name of Freddie Figures. I have to say it slow so I get his name right. But Freddie is an American inventor. He was actually found in a dumpster, believe it or not, as a baby, and now is worth $62 million. He started inventing as a young kid. He was adopted. He was actually given a computer because his adoptive parents thought it would keep him out of trouble. And it did. Uh, and he started inventing. His first thing was uh, his father had started to develop Alzheimer's disease. So his first invention was a tracking device so that he could keep track of where his father was. And then he went on to develop a diabetes testing tool to help diabetics. And now is the founder of Figures Communications, which is this very huge telecommunications company that he started. And I, he's super young. He was born in 1989. It's just remarkable, his story from tragedy to triumph. I mean, I can't imagine being found in a dumpster and then you're being able to take yourself to this next level. So that's amazing. Uh, yeah. And I think it goes to show that everybody's here for a reason. I always feel like that. Like your parents may not want you, nobody wants you, but you're here for some reason. And wow. He sure figured his out from dumpster to this kind of success around 30 years old. Does he say what drove him? He basically, uh, there's a great uh, article in the Washington Post on him, if you want to check it out. But he was just saying how his adoptive parents always gave him love and, and a future. And he always focused on doing his best to make the world a better place. And now that's kind of been his mantra. So he didn't really focus on the problem that was in front of him. He really was always very solution-oriented and was able to turn things into great things. So from the dumpster to literally a dynasty, it's a remarkable story. That's really fantastic. And he's also, like you mentioned before, I think he's the author on a number of patents as well. He is, he is. He also has a foundation to pay it forward and help others. So kudos to our first contributor to the culture, Mr. Freddie Figures. It's really inspirational. Without further ado, all the way from London, England, yay, is Shirley Jaffe. Hi, Shirley. So you are or a quantum creation expert. Tell us what that is. I'll start with a question for you, actually. Do you believe that you can receive money without doing anything? Well, after my session with you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so I, I definitely do. Um, well, it all comes into where your beliefs are, where your limitations are. And when you adjust your energetic muscle to attract what you need to attract, and you look at where there are the rules that are holding you actually in place. So you were talking about thinking about out of the box and out of the rules. That's exactly what I help my clients do. So I work with the visionaries, the cutting edge people who kind of look at the system, look at where they are, and they would like to make things better. And they're looking at, well, this doesn't work quite right. So how do we just like shatter this and create greater? That's what I do. I help them with that. I use a lot of different tools, lots of conscious creation tools, working with quantum, working with energy, some metaphysical and some mystical things. I've all rolled it up into a, a proprietary method that I use for myself. You have some psychology training, right? Yeah, I'm a doctor in the art of healing. So I don't use that very often because it's not quite in the same direction as um, where this is going. And I started out in the corporate world. I started out doing high-end banking and working with legal companies and helping them with training and that sort of thing. And it occurred to me that many people, even in those industries and environments, were looking to create something outside of what they were given. How do you help people find the spiritual connection that they need to find in order to make these connections and find this energy? First of all, I always start with where they are. Um, some people believe in, in all sorts of different things. So some people believe in spirit, some people believe in God, some people believe in the universe, some people don't believe in just the, the science of it. So we start there. And by using the way that the mind works, the conscious, the subconscious, the unconscious, I sort of get right in and allow the space in between to expand. Because when we've got more space, when we're not as rigid, when we're not as tied into what we perceive as reality, then there's so much more that you can connect to, to create. And it's not necessarily about, you know, spirit, God, universe, source. It's about the energy. It's about the frequency. I used to coach athletes and I used to help them to get to that winning point. So 
they would come to me and we would work through all the vision things and get them to the point of winning. But also what was success for them? And that is really the key because most people feel that success is purely money, material things. And even when they say, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm happy to just have this, this, then this. When you actually get right down to it, that's what they're looking for. And I help them to see that's okay. That's okay to desire that because with that, we've just said it, you can create value for the world. And that's the bottom line. So having all of that material success, that monetary success, but you are creating value. Mm -hmm. And that's really, really super important to many people. Shirley, what are some common subconscious blocks that you find when you're working with people? So the main one, which I find, which um, I like to bust through really pretty quick sharp is having to work your butt off to get money. If you've got that going on, then at no point are you going to be really fulfilled and happy because you're just constantly slogging. You're looking for the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And you end up with very little life. When I've done it myself, I got so addicted to knowing that I could work and earn. It's like, you know, it's very obvious. Work and earn, work and earn. And eventually sort of got into the trap of working more and more and more. Even when I swapped careers, because I saw that actually the time was better spent in another career to earn more, but it was always about that. So I like to unhook them from that. Because if you can become that type of person, which fulfillment and everything happens without you pushing for it, without you hustling for it, without you grinding for it, then it's, it's just much more of an easy ride. I would imagine that there's a lot of creativity that flows from that process. Oh my goodness, yes. I mean, we talk about creative people. Entrepreneurs are really, really creative. And when you get into that space, it's not even a case of creating from things that you are creating yourself. That's where the inventors, they're picking ideas up from outside of them. Sometimes the ideas are not even formed and they just drop in. And I really believe that that's where we're getting these cutting edge innovations. And that's not to say that the inventor is not like super amazingly smart. But I really believe that they have connection to other things that we maybe do not know about. And that's where things are coming in from. No, I think that hits the key. Lots of entrepreneurs see problems that other people either have assumed can never change or don't see it. Do you find that, Charlie, the ability yeah. to help your clients zoom out a bit? Yeah, totally. Um, I have many clients who are actually product inventors and they just blow my mind because they come in and go, oh, well, you know that that's an issue and we can sort that. And I'm thinking... I would never have even considered that to be an issue. And they've created something out of just what they've seen. But the ones that really stick for me are the ones where the new technology comes in. So Shirley, when we spoke before, you said that you used to travel everywhere. You would go to clients, clients would come to you. You would go anywhere, you would do special days with people, but now you're doing everything remotely. So you are still working all the time. It's just through Zoom, right? Yeah, totally. I'm, I do the, the work through Zoom. We've, we've done some stuff. And it's not just the talking work and the spiritual work. I help my clients with other tools and techniques. So when I've been working with them and I'll use something, uh, a technique or something like that, they'll say to me, oh, can you show me how to do that? and I'll spend time with them. But generally, they're there for that energy reboot, that clear up. They are those super creatives. And then at some point, they're blocked. There's just a bit too much pressure, a bit too much stress. They've gotten themselves into the cycle of overworking and sometimes just overworking on their passion. Mm -hmm. And so I help them step out of that. I did a crystal session with Shirley and it was amazing. Did a meditation and laid on the floor and the floor stayed hot for like two hours afterwards. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. Um, but you can find her website at thequantumuplevel.com and she can help anybody anywhere in the world. She does it through Zoom. So thank you, Shirley. We'll be right back after this break. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, 
sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We're on to our final presentation this evening. And don't worry, if you haven't heard the complete show, you can go to our YouTube channel and check out the video as well as the podcast and also on our website. So make sure you check that out. It'll be available tomorrow. And on iHeart Podcast. So for our second and final presenter, we have Stas Chizek, and he's going to be talking about his new product, Billfold Contactless Solutions. So welcome to the show, Stas. Tell us about your project. Basically, uh, we have started Billfold POS to help event organizers double their revenue through making their events more efficient. Any event organizer uh, that is looking to generate more revenue, uh, we help them by linking all of the payment information, uh, ticketing information, ID information to a simple ID wristband that is uh, given to every customer that walks into the event. And as well as uh, it becomes their form of payment so they can easily swipe away and pay for drinks, merchandise, food. The product really started mostly out of my personal need. I've been in the bar business for 10 years now. Uh, own and operate a small little neighborhood spot here in Brooklyn. And then also uh, me and my business partner have grown our catering business uh, to service events. And we got started because we really needed a way to transact quickly when we were dealing with uh, such a high volume of customers coming through an event. And uh, the way that we came to, you know, coming up with this product is that we realized that by standardizing the form of payment on every customer's wrist, uh, we could save ourselves 30 seconds on every transaction and uh, multiply that by thousands and thousands of people adds up to a lot of time, which ultimately adds up to a lot of money. So all of our clients see 20% at minimum increase in per person spend. And then really on average, we are around 40% for all of our clients. So uh, a lot of benefits and uh, our product has become even more relevant with uh, the current situation because even though we were developing for efficiency, uh, we also developed for very little contact. Now, a lot of event organizers, as they're looking to reopen in 2021, or maybe end of 2020, are coming to us with a different problem. They're coming to us with the problem that we're all dealing with. How do we do all the things that we used to do, but minimize contact between employees and attendees? This is where our product became even more relevant. And now we're speaking to some of the biggest uh, players in the industry just because uh, to them this problem has become even more real. So you're like the Apple Pay for events. Basically, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I used your product once before. I was at an event, it was actually in Brooklyn. They, I got a wristband. I think I had to hook like my credit card up to it and then I was just able to go from section to section and just wave my wrist and it was pretty quick, like you said. And now with everybody being kind of leery with COVID, I could see how that would be important for sure. Have you thought about expanding into grocery stores and places like that with this? I mean, I would love to just go to Stop and Shop and just wave my arm, you know, because now I stick my credit card in and it goes in the machine where everybody else is and I have to poke with my finger and it's like, ew. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, like Alan very well said earlier today, you can't be a solution for everyone and everything. And I think uh, kind of riffing off of what he said earlier, I wanted to kind of deliver our most concise speech in terms of what the product does and can do. Uh, but to your point, it could be expanded into grocery stores, definitely. It could be expanded into a whole number of applications. Uh, but right now we are choosing to focus on events and really use this downtime to uh, do all the wanted upgrades that we haven't been able to do for the past four years because we've been just too busy to get to it. Yeah, I think that's exactly the right focus. It's, uh, you know, you're solving a problem that you know firsthand at bars where people want to pay for something and don't want to hand their credit card down the bar and get it back and mm -hmm. forever. And they want to just get the beer and walk away. And I think staying really focused on that and events like that, which you have to pay for things, but that's the worst part of the experience is because the, the help is so busy serving the next customer 
they're not following up to pay you, so you're waiting around to get paid. Ultimately, best businesses solve the biggest pain point. And I think staying there is smart. I mean, that's uh, that's definitely what we wanted to solve for when we built us. So we just saw all this time wasted on every transaction. And there are other products in the market. So I wouldn't say that we are unique. Uh, but what makes us unique is really the fact that we come from the space. So we built everything with very much the operator in mind. We were our first client. We obviously tested on ourselves many, many times. So for us, it was a solving uh, that little thing, which is saving time. How do we save time on a simple transaction? And really, it comes down to just standardizing. Once things are standardized, that's what makes it also easy. It's, uh, it's not when a customer walks up to you and one guy hands you his phone, another guy hands you a card, and a third guy hands you cash. Now, every single customer, you know that their credit card or their cash is right there on their wrist, so they could just use that to pay. Hey, I can't tell you how many times I've opened a tab at a bar and left and then realized when I got home that I left the credit card 40 minutes away. I had to go back the next day, freeze the card. and The amount of cards we save, I, I have no idea. I'm sure it's thousands. It's, it's a fairly common occurrence. I've done that before a number of times myself. Can you put tips on things with this? Yeah, with our product, uh, yeah, the tips actually is a whole another benefit of it uh, is that the tip averages double uh, usually. Uh, in the bar business, uh, you see between 11 and 13% in the U.S. average tip. Um, that's kind of when you obviously, I tip usually 20, most people tip 18 uh, but the reality is, is that all those people that just give a dollar on a drink, well, that $1 on a $20 tab, that's 5%. So basically, it by making it easy for people to tip and just select preset options on our POS, they can just swipe away and the, the tip averages go up. And what that means to the event organizer is that they uh, can retain better staff. Because when uh, staff are paid well, uh, more professional staff want those positions. And as a result, the whole operation grows and becomes better. If I could just make one comment too, uh, Stas, and that is you have a lot of background in the restaurant business, the bar business. And by having that background, it's really amplified your chances of success in your entrepreneurial venture. And so I think it's worth noting for entrepreneurs out there that if you do have particular industry experience, that lots of times that knowledge really gives you a leg up when you're trying to develop that kind of product. Product. If somebody who saw this need but didn't really have the industry experience that you have, it would be a harder road, I'm sure. But Stas, maybe you can tell us where our listeners can find you. Yeah, you can uh, check us out on billfoldpos.com. In the next couple of weeks, uh, the full suite of solutions will be updated on the website. Uh, so you can definitely just check it out and see everything that we offer. But right now, the website is mostly focusing on our flagship point of sale product. You're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt, our special guests this evening, Alan Adamson and Mitch Beinhocker. We'll be right back after this message. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. There was so much good information. It's kind of hard to like process it all. I know. So I'm almost to, on information overload here. I have to listen to the podcast when it comes out. So I want to go through who we had on the show. So first of all, Gearheart Law sponsored it at gearheartlaw.com. And we had Alan Adamson from metaforce.co. Just this out-of-the-box, amazingly powerful marketing agency. M-E-T. T-A-F-O-R-C-E dot C-O. Top C-O, but we actually just bought the dot com a while back, so both will work. Oh, yay. Good. And then 
we had Mitch Beinecker, who is a small business attorney who helps you with like everything that you need for your small business starting out in startups too. And he has Beinecker Law, B-E-I-N-H-A-K-E-R-L-A-W.com. And he also has a very cool podcast called The Accidental Entrepreneur. And uh, it's very interesting. It's a great podcast. So Absolutely. then we had Kenya Gibson, who is our media maven iHeart. And you can reach her at Kenya Gibson with a P at iHeartMedia.com. And then we had Shirley Jaffe, who is a quantum creation expert. She helps visionaries get to the next vision. I guess, is that a good way to put it? <laughs> I'm and, ready to go. And her website is thequantumuplevel.com. So B-Q-U-A-N. T-U-M, uplevel.com. And really, she employs amazing techniques to help you break through psychological blocks, and unlike a, anything else. And I love, I love that name, the quantum level. And finally, we had Stas Chisik. And he has a really cool thing that he's been using for events. It's a contactless way of paying. You just put a wristband on, link your credit card to it, and you run around the event and just flash your wristband, and you're all paid up. His website is Billfold. P-O-S, like point of service. So billfoldpos.com. Look these up, listen to the podcast, see what these guys are doing. It was an amazing show. I do have to give a special shout out to our producer at iHeart. We're doing these on Zoom during quarantine. The sound is not optimum, not like what Noah gets in the studio, but Noah fixes it up for us and gets it on the radio in New York City and makes a great podcast out of it. So thank you, Noah Fleischman. We love you. And before we go, we'd like to have a few final words from our guests. Mitch, any comments for our audience before we move on? Only that, you know, if you're a small business owner, you're working on a concept, see an attorney sooner than later. I find that a lot of times what happens is people start doing whatever it is they're doing and they may have a partner and they've shaken hands and they haven't put anything in writing. And there's a reason that you use contracts, right? There's really two reasons. One is to list and state what your deal is between the person or what you're doing. And then the other part is when something goes awry or there's a misunderstanding or a miscommunication or a complete breakdown in a dispute, how do you solve those disputes and what are the rules of solving those disputes? So very often I get involved with deals where it's a business, they're investing in a business that, you know, maybe they're the silent partner, maybe they're the operating partner, whatever it is. And they have nothing but like text messages and emails between each other. And they kind of had an agreement at one point, but it was never signed. And the sky's the limit as to what can happen in a case like that when it comes to he said, she said, and things that will not be excluded from the four corners of a written document that you've signed. I constantly run into people that I got to fix problems that I could have for less money, put things in place and protected you and put the right agreements and got you started on the right foot from the beginning. And as a fellow attorney, I heartily recommend that you take those steps and especially with Mitch. So Kenya, any final thoughts? No, I just wanted to say it was a great conversation. I felt like everything blended and complemented so well to each other. So great advice from Mitch, great advice from Alan about building your brand. Um, and I just love the innovation from Stas and, and from Shirley, how you're just, you know, innovating and creating and growing into to the spaces that you're passionate about. So good stuff. I think we were firing on all cylinders with entrepreneurism today. Yeah. You know, I think it was one of our most entrepreneurial shows that we've had so far. Yeah. And Alan, your final thoughts? Yeah, I think entrepreneurs, the idea is important. Don't give up on it. Even if it at first don't succeed, most entrepreneurs don't hit it out of the park. It takes several swings. And the best brands keep it simple to succeed. So keep it simple to start with and then solve it first well. So thank you for listening. And listeners, tune in next week for another excellent conversation. We always have such wonderful people on this show. And you can start thinking about what your presentation will be. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and check out our YouTube channel, Passage to Profit on WOR 710, the voice of New York. 